This is a reading of Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 to 12 by Charlotte and Adele Sneap. <laughs> These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and, or- and olive groves you did not plant. Then, you, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Charlotte and Adele, thank you so much. Really great reading. And uh, I'm actually here to introduce Melanie, who hopefully most of you already know. And part of this is this series that we're in that we started last week and that we are in this week and will be in next week is that the church is called to be a community together with the greatest love, committing to the rhythms of life that God's called us to and to do it ultimately with each other. So I hope you see some of our intentionality of involving all the different ages and the beauty in this church in our services. Melanie's been with us for about nine years involved with youth ministry. She was ordained as our youth pastor last, last uh, fall, and uh, we have an excited opportunity to hear from her today. So um, I'm excited. Pray God will speak to you and lead us this morning. Okay, perfect. Good morning. <laughs> You know, I'm usually downstairs. It's a little weird to be up here instead. Um, preaching is not new to me, but preaching in front of this many people and this many age groups is a little strange. <laughs> usually it's just to the teenagers. Um, but as a youth pastor at Bethel, I get to share a lot of stories with the youth, a lot of my own life experiences. And quite a few of those stories actually come from a study abroad trip that I did to Israel a number of years ago. But I realized that there's one story that I don't think I've ever even told the youth, and I want to share that with you this morning. So in order to get to Israel, I had to take a long, grueling flight. I had to fly from Edmonton to Newark, Newark to Tel Aviv. And the flight from Newark to Tel Aviv was very long. I think it was only 10 hours, but it felt so much longer, because it was a red-eye flight. And I don't know if anyone knows this about me, but I do not sleep on planes. I cannot sleep sitting up. Um, So I came prepared. I had lots of books to read, lots of journals to write in, lots of pre-work assignments to do. Uh, So I came prepared, but I was very much looking forward to when they would serve breakfast, because that meant we would almost be landing. But right before they served breakfast, and I heard the flight attendant sort of talking about, okay, breakfast is going to be served soon, and people were starting to wake up from their lovely sleep that I did not get, but their lovely sleep, I ended up noticing something that I had never seen before. I saw a few Jewish men get up from their seats quietly, 
and retrieve a small bag out of their suitcase. I thought, that's very curious. There seems to be quite a few of them that are all getting up around the same time and all getting something out of their suitcase. I was like, okay, what is this? So I started watching them intently as they got, they pulled out from the little bag these two little black boxes about this big with leather straps on them, hanging down from them. And then they proceeded to walk up to near the front of the plane where there was a little bit more space and they rolled up their left sleeve, attaching one of the boxes onto their arm before slowly wrapping it down the length of their arm and holding it in their hand. They then took the other box, sort of put it onto their forehead, right in the middle, right about where their hairline is, and had the other straps hanging down. They then drew attention back to this arm as they wrapped it around one of their fingers and secured it tightly in their, onto their hand, and then proceeded to fix their prayer shawl, open a little book, and while they were still standing at the front of the plane, they started rocking back and forth in prayer. And at this point, I had so many questions and thoughts. What is, what is this practice? I'd never seen this before. What, do they do this every morning? Do they do this several times a day? It seems very restrictive and legalistic. Like why, why is it that they feel the need to do this? And why, why the little black boxes? Well, it wouldn't be until I arrived in Israel, probably a couple weeks later, that I finally ended up finding out what these boxes were called. Tefillin, otherwise known as phylacteries. And they are worn primarily by Jewish men of Orthodox or conservative congregations during their morning prayer, except for on Shabbat and festival days. The two boxes are bound to their forehead and their non-dominant arm. So for the men, it was left arm, but it could have been their right if they were left-handed. And within these tiny boxes are scripture passages, four scripture passages rolled up in a tiny scroll and, and in these boxes. And those passages are Exodus 13, 1 to 10, Exodus 13, 11 to 16, Exodus 6, 4 to 9, or sorry, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, and Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21. And each of these passages share one similarity. Exodus 13, 9 says, this observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. Exodus 13, 16, and it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Deuteronomy 6, 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Deuteronomy 11:18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads four passages, and each one tells us to tie God's commands to our hands and foreheads. It is so important 
that God's people needed to be told four times. Four times. But now, I should probably clarify that during this sermon, I'm not going to be telling you to go out and buy Teflon and start this practice. It's not what I'm going to be doing here. Although it is a beautiful practice with a lot of theological significance, it can unfortunately easily descend into one of legalism and in turn destroy the spirit of the whole command. But what is the spirit of the command? And why was this command so important that it had to be repeated four times? Well, let us, let us turn together to our passage for today, Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 12. And the first part of this passage and last week's passage are, as well are found within Tefillin. They're found within the boxes, verses 4 to 9. But our passage for this morning includes up to verse 12, and there's a reason for that, because it's within 10, verses 10 to 12 that we can fully grasp the spirit of the command. So we're going to focus on these verses first before we circle back to verses 6 to 9 to discuss how we can live out these commands in our daily life. So let us read Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12 again. So when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." The first way that these commands help us live out our lives with God is to give us a reminder to not forget God. Do not forget. Moses, in gathering the people of Israel, wants to warn and stress the importance of continually sharing all that God has done for the people of Israel. In previous chapters, we can see how easily it has been for the people to be led astray. In Exodus 16 and 17, we see the Israelites grumbling about food and water. And this is only a couple of chapters after they had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Then, several chapters later in Exodus 32, they asked Aaron to make a god out of gold because Moses had went up the mountain to be with God and it had been a while. So they just presumed he wasn't going to be coming back. They had seen with their own eyes the magnitude of God's glory, yet they had been so quick to grumble and turn away into disobedience during hardship. And Moses knew that it would only be that much easier for them to forget God when they entered the promised land a land with large, flourishing cities where food and water would be plentiful. He knew that they would quick, quickly forget who provided those things and where they were brought up out of. And how true is this for us, too? I can remember so many times that I've been on my knees in desperate prayer when I no longer felt like I had the strength or knowledge to do my homework 
when I was feeling the sting of rejection, when I wasn't sure what to do for work and I could barely pay rent or any of my bills, or when my daughter was quite sick in her first couple of weeks of life and we were going back and forth to the hospital. It was then, during times of struggle, that I turned to God in prayer the most. In desperate times, when God is the only one who could provide what what you need, it is easy to follow God. But how often do we forget God when we are in a space of prosperity? One theologian writes in the NIV Application Study Bible, Moses warned the people not to forget God when they entered the promised land and became prosperous. Prosperity, more than poverty, can dull our spiritual vision because it tends to make us self-sufficient and eager to acquire still more of everything except God. We can easily become self-sufficient and less sensitive to our need for God. This leads us to concentrate on self-preservation rather than thankfulness and service to God. The very richness and goodness that God throughout scripture provided lulled the people into an attitude of forgetfulness. Do you think that you have been lulled into an attitude of forgetfulness? I know for myself, I can easily be lulled into an all or nothing mentality. When I'm overly stressed and anxious and close to burnout, I know, I know then that I need to refocus on God, take time, be diligent with my prayers and devotions. But forgetfulness can quickly creep back in. And I can go days rushing from one task to the other, not realizing that I've completely forgotten to read my Bible in the morning and pray with my daughter at night. But why even talk about this command if it seems impossible to live by? We can read in scripture how time and time again, the Israelites couldn't keep God's commands. So how can we? Well, let's go back to the beginning of our passage where verse six states, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On your hearts. Many years later, the prophet Ezekiel would come to tell the people of Israel that the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And we know this prophecy to be true through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that we've been given new hearts and the Holy Spirit resides in us. So with our new life and heart through Christ, our minds and actions are being transformed as well. We act, as Wendy discussed last week, out of obedient love. But why? Why are these commands that Moses is telling the people of Israel thousands of years ago still important today? It means 
rest. We may look at the commands of God or even the practices of discipleship and spiritual disciplines and see something restrictive and legalistic, just as I had viewed Teflon when I was on the airplane. But instead, God's instructions are leading and guiding, to, guiding his people to a way of rest, which is ultimately found in him. In verse 7, Moses tells the Israelites, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. We may look at these things and see more things to just add to our to-do list. We need to be talking about them, we need to be impressing them on our children, but that's not the thing here, that we don't want to be adding things. Jesus, Jesus wants us to look at these commands and see rest. He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What we might miss in Deuteronomy 6 is the invitation of Matthew 11. We need Jesus to transform our hearts to truly find rest. It isn't enough to simply know all of the commands, what to do, when to do them, and just add them to our calendar. We need a Savior and Lord to reveal this to us and to teach us, to give us a new heart. Jesus reveals what it's like to experience rest through rhythms with God, Jesus reminds us not to forget God. Jesus calls us to focus our hearts on him because his heart is focused on us. What he invites us to is to learn from him and to walk with him each and every day because he has a great deal to teach us about what rest looks like as it comes from him. His teaching is not just through example, but through giving us his spirit to empower obedient love. Learn from me. And what do we see Jesus doing? We see him sitting in homes with his disciples, eating, praying, sharing, walking along the road, explaining the scriptures to others, lying down, resting, napping, and having times of solitude to pray and getting up to go off alone to pray as well. In these four aspects of our daily lives, outlined in Deuteronomy 6-7, we can see Jesus living these out with a focus on work, community living, and rest. But what do these look like for us? I know for myself I can easily spend my time on other things. When I'm at home, I can find myself reaching for my phone at the dinner table, scrolling endlessly for hours, just scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it may be, or catching up on emails, looking over my to-do list for the umpteenth time, just stressing over what needs to be done next. 
And then when I'm walking along the road, or more accurately driving along the road because I'm not much of a walker, um, I tend to be in a rush to get to where I need to go. When I go to bed, I rush through bedtime routines to get to bed and still find myself reaching for my phone and scrolling and end up being up for another hour or two. And then when I get up, the first thing that I reach for is my phone. I'm, maybe I should put it down there instead. Um, <laughs> might be the problem, just a little bit. But it's the first thing that I go to. Do I have any messages? Has so-and-so responded to my email? What new videos have been posted to YouTube while I've been asleep? But where do I find myself? Stressed, burnt out, anxious. Please tell me that I'm not the only one who's like this. Getting caught up worrying about the next thing that I become ineffective at what I'm doing in the moment. I find excuses to procrastinate on the things that I know are important, that I completely lose sight of my values and they no longer are the things that dictate my actions we can easily slip into a disordered love that draws us to other things with the falsehood of it bringing us joy just as the Israelites did when they entered the promised land. But there's hope. If you embrace rhythms with God, you will find rest for your soul. Let me say that again. If you embrace rhythms with God, you will find rest for your soul. But what did you experience growing up? Was a restful life embracing God modeled in your home? Or did you sense that everything was rushed? Was a lesson that you were taught and what are subsequently teaching others that it should be rushed? or that you should be embracing rhythms with God. Last week, Wendy interviewed Christy Thomas, who said, we are always passing down our values to our kids, whether we are intentional or not. Deuteronomy 6-7 begins with, impress them on your children. And now let's not forget that that is not just a command to parents. In verse four, it said, hear Oh, Israel, not hero parents, hear, oh, Israel. It is all of our responsibilities, whether we have children or not, to impress this on the next generation, to show them what it looks like to embrace rhythms with God. But in passing down our values to the next generation, are we intentionally passing down a life centered around God? Are we passing down Jesus' invitation for rest for our souls? You'll notice in the pews in front of you, and I'm sorry for those in the front, Nate will bring some to you, that there are index cards just like there was last week. And as I explained it, I'm going to invite up the worship team. So you'll find an index card like this. And last week, 
We wanted you to, it was blank, and we wanted you to write something on it to share with people, and that are now on the back of the windows, and I encourage you to read them. But this card isn't to be shared. You can, I encourage you, though, to share it with one, maybe two people that can hold you accountable to whatever you write on this card, but otherwise, you do not need to share it. On it, you will find the words, what rhythms do I need to embrace with God in order to find rest? And a sentence to fill in the blank. In order to embrace daily rhythms with God, I choose to abandon my current practice or practices of blank and commit to be with God through the following ways. The commands to talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up should not be a burden that is added to your schedule, but should take the place of something that might be hindering us from being with God. And I know I just said that you don't need to share it with anyone, but I'll share what I have written on mine. Mine says, in order to embrace daily rhythms with God, I choose to abandon my current practices of being on my phone, yes, I do realize it's a problem, being on my phone during supper and keeping my phone in my bedroom at night. And I commit to be with God through the following ways. Reading scripture in the morning as I eat breakfast with my daughter and creating a more intentional nightly routine that includes prayer. So I ask, what might be keeping you from the rest that Jesus is inviting you into? And how can you commit to embracing rhythms with God instead? The worship team is going to play an instrumental song while we enter into this practice together, but let me lead you in a word of prayer. Lord, we confess that we are not always great at remembering you in our daily routines. We can easily be distracted by the tasks on our to-do lists or the ways that the world around us is telling us that we will find joy, fulfillment, or be able to simplify our lives. Our spiritual disciplines can feel like a chore as we add them on top of the never-ending to-do list. Yet, we know you call us to so much more than that. You call us to rest as you have put a new heart in us and invite us to walk with you. We pray that this morning you will bring to mind the practice or practices that we need to release to you today. The things that are getting in the way of embracing a rhythm of life with you. Reveal to us just one or two practices that we can start and commit to during this season of our life. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray.